0: Welcome to Mission Daily. Today, Chad is joined by Lenny Stein, Senior Vice President of Global Affairs at Splunk, where he is focused on finding market opportunities and expanding Splunk globally. Prior to joining Splunk eight years ago, Lenny was in private practice for law with an interest in public policy. He worked with the U.S. Civil Aeronautics Board and serves as a staff member on the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee, among many other companies where he serves as general counsel. On today's episode, Chad and Lenny discuss why he thinks work should always have a higher purpose. Corporate social responsibility areas Splunk is focused on, such as disaster relief, cybersecurity, and job training, and the ways in which Splunk is doing
1: good around the world. Mission Daily is created by our team at mission.org. Lenny, thanks for joining us. Great to be here. So when people hear about your work today, I'd be curious to know how you describe your role at Splunk. And then we can get into how you came to that role and where you're from. The shorthand
0: for my role today is Splunk is trying to solve the world's problems and we're in a hurry. So today we see the potential of data to help improve the human condition. And uh, so at Splunk, we have an initiative called Splunk for Good, which is our effort to identify means and work with groups that can use the power of data to improve the human condition. Whether it be a partnership with Rise Against Hunger to help provide food security to tens of millions of people around the world that go without uh, a meal or meals. To our work with the Global Emancipation Network to use data um, to meet the challenges of human trafficking and bring traffickers to justice. To our latest project, which is using data to reimagine the way in which we detect, manage, respond to and recover from wildfires driven by climate change.
1: If uh, Wall Street were to glance at your role, what is the uh, official title and kind of like response? What's the corporate speak for your role? Because that's a that's a lot that you're tackling.
0: Well, my uh, official role uh, title is Senior Vice President Global Affairs, which as a formal matter includes within that scope, our social impact initiatives, our global public policy initiatives, uh, and our work with the World Economic Forum.
1: So, getting to a place where you're managing all those things and uh, as an executive at Splunk, I'm sure it wasn't a uh, linear journey, right? Um, so, I would be curious to know where you started at Splunk uh, and how you came onto this opportunity.
0: Well, I, when I started Splunk eight and a half years ago, Splunk was a $67 million revenue company with approximately 250 employees. Fast forward a little over eight years later, Our expected revenue this year, as we've told Wall Street, is two and a quarter billion dollars, and we are approaching 5,000 employees worldwide. Congrats. It's congrats to a lot of people that have put their heart and soul into Splunk success, as well as all of our customers who have trusted in us um, to help them achieve their most critical Goals is a company. So where'd you grow up? Um, I grew up in suburban New York in a town called Syosset.
1: Close to Rochester or where's where's Uh, that
0: at? It's on Long Island. It's it's a suburb of New York City. So I grew up and attended public schools. Um, And then I ended up uh, pursuing, uh, I went to college at Yale University and got undergraduate and graduate degrees there. And then I got my law degree at Harvard and- Shortly after that, um, I then went into the private practice of law with an interest in public policy.
1: What fueled that inspiration to get into public policy? You've alluded to it a little bit here in the work you do at Splunk, um, but what were your personal inspirations for getting into that field? I was very fortunate uh, to have a number
0: of opportunities, Uh, one of which was to work with an agency at the time called the U.S. Civil Aeronautics Board, uh, which at the time was responsible for regulation of the airline industry in the United States and negotiation of international treaties. And in fact, I got I had the privilege to work on the U.S.-Japan Aviation Treaty. Uh, And from there, I had the good fortune to uh, work with Steve Breyer, who at the time was the Senate Judiciary Committee Chief Counsel uh, and now has become a member of the U.S. Supreme Court. And uh, we worked together on a number of uh, areas, both um, when I served as a staff member of the US um, Senate Judiciary Committee, and we worked on reg- deregulation of the airline industry, the trucking industry, um, and elements of the railroad industry. I came at it both from an interest in economics, an interest in law, and a number of opportunities to have an impact uh, on policy firsthand,
1: so is it safe to say that nothing phases you at this point? There are many things that phase me. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, let's. But I've seen a lot along the way. I'd imagine so. Let's jump into some of those things uh, because I think that they're challenges that many of our listeners are wrestling with right now. Let's start with a big one, which is privacy protections. Everyone's thinking about how as a company, if we say certain data is going to be private, how do we prevent break-ins or hacking? This is a really complex topic. So maybe we could start with just getting your take on what's the landscape like right now for consumer and enterprise privacy, or maybe lack thereof?
0: Well, one of the things that's become very clear is that we lack a common standard, either within the United States or globally, uh, when it comes to Appropriate protections for individual privacy. Part of the challenge we face is uh, the difficulty for our traditional legislative processes to keep up with the rate of technological change. And there's a lot of talk now of a, a trying to introduce a new concept around what's called agile government. Uh, But beyond that, you see initiatives starting in the EU with general data protection uh, regulation or GDPR that in many ways codifies European viewpoints around privacy. And you now see a lot of those principles uh, generating dialogue in other countries around the world, including the United States, about what are the appropriate uses of personal information, what areas require um, advance consent by consumers, uh, what types of use of consumer information uh, is appropriate in furthering the, uh, the common interest, mm-hmm. such as in identifying cures for um, various uh, illnesses, in helping to fight the spread of disease through uh, epidemics, um, through uh, identifying indicators of threat and threat vectors um, to networks um, and uh, applications and areas where consumer
1: data is stored. So it sounds like if I hear you correctly, you're saying that we need a much broader dialogue about what constitutes public and what constitutes private data in the U.S.? Or do we need it globally? Do we need it in the U.S. and globally? Right now, there
0: is a healthy level of debate around privacy to try to arrive at common principles that can be applicable across various cultures, various political systems, various technologies. Uh, And that dialogue is helpful. We believe that at Splunk, that the appropriate approach is for robust privacy protection for individual data. We think there's a lot to learn from and and, uh, emulate in GDPR. We think there are other areas where GDPR falls short in terms of its uh, potential to slow down innovation and to Limit the benefits that we, uh, we meaning the world and humanity, can see from the spread of machine learning uh, in society. So we think where we need to start is with a robust, uniform set of
1: privacy protections. And that seems to be the first step before we get... You know, machine learning, or before we really start tapping into the power of dark data, right, is we need to all agree on what we're talking about. We have to get some type of uh, general consensus, or would you say it's not really a general consensus we're looking for? In the
0: Splunk point of view, data, dark data refers to the data that exists within organizations that um, the organizations don't know exist, let alone don't understand. Sure. the value of that data, either for their business or for other
1: stakeholders. Let's talk a little bit about the responsibility that technology companies have to shape that future, right? Because in a sense, Splunk is shaping that future right now. You're informing what's going to happen in the future. So I'd be curious to know, what is that future of shaping you know, data agreements? What's that look like? Technology
0: is enabling us to collect much more data about many more subjects uh, much more quickly than ever before. And technologies like Splunk enable us to make sense of that data and gain a greater breadth of insights from that data than ever before. So there's great promise uh, in this data and accessing it and analyzing it for both The economic benefit of individual enterprises uh, and for society in general.
1: And do you view it as the role of Splunk to be an enabler for the future of work or a future of uh, ethical data use? Uh, Is that part of the mission as well?
0: I have always firmly believed that uh, work should uh, have a higher purpose. In addition to um, providing a source of income and sustenance that work should provide uh, the opportunity uh, to leave the world in a better position than we found it. And um, I have constantly found through the uh, different experiences that I've had, a higher purpose animating uh, a corporate environment um, makes all the difference between what what a company achieves and what it can.
1: And it sounds like too that your philosophy is kind of described as what's best for mankind and what's best for business. That's not a bad way of thinking about uh, kind of like a cultural value here.
0: Yes, I, I, th- I think work should always have a aspirational component to it. Early on in Amazon's uh, life, as I understand it, one of the uh, sayings that they use to recruit employees goes as follows, work hard, have fun, make history. And the way I've interpreted it as I've gone through my own journey uh, is that for me and for many others, it's really important to find the job where you're working hard, moving quickly with smart people. That's the work hard piece. Uh, And then the fun piece is there are no dress rehearsals in life. And if you're not having fun doing what you're doing, you should be doing something else. And then finally, the make history piece is the most important piece. There should be an aspirational dimension to uh, each and every person's work. Now, it's not possible for everybody to achieve that. It's a unique privilege to be in that position. But I've always felt that um, the best way to spend one's time on earth is to not just have a Job that is uh, a benefit for oneself, but something that is achieving either a change for the better in the way people interact with each other, uh, an advance in uh, technology or a market or reinvention of it, or something uh, working with a product that has the potential uh, to create social good over and above its
1: commercial benefit. So let's talk about uh, corporate social responsibility and some of the main initiatives here at Splunk. So disaster relief, cybersecurity, and job training are three that the company highlights that you're focused on. Uh, Is there an example of each that you could share? Maybe we could start with disaster relief. In the disaster relief area,
0: we have um, partnered for a long time with a group called Team Rubicon, which- um, Veterans, right? It's a veterans group that tries to take the accumulated skills that um, individuals have acquired in the course of their service to our country and to put them to work in uh, disaster situations, disaster recovery situations. So we've enabled Team Rubicon uh, to use Splunk software to help assign in the midst, in the, the fog of a, the first 24, 48 hours of a, uh, a hurricane, a flood, an earthquake, uh, to identify skill sets and individuals who can provide meaningful help in the moment and help get the right people and the right skills to the right place where they can make a difference.
1: Cybersecurity. Let's talk about uh, cybersecurity. It's at the forefront of everyone's mind. Uh, How does Splunk help out with cybersecurity?
0: Most cyber breaches occur because of compromised credentials. Um, And there are many reasons why the bad actors seek to breach networks. And we've gone from a situation where if you looked at, looked at the world five years ago, you would say uh, most cyber breaches were criminal in intent uh, with the effort to uh, acquire financial gain. We've seen those motivations evolve into acquisition of intellectual property to advance economies or provide competitive advantage to efforts to destroy and disable um, company assets and thereby impair their ability to operate uh, to, if you will, a 21st century dimension of international diplomacy where uh, competing nation states can send messages to each other through their cyber activities communicate and negotiate through the the effort, through the means of um, cyber warfare. And then as we uh, experienced in 2016, and as it looks like we're going to continue to have to experience in 2020 and beyond, uh, the use of um, cyber means and cyber attacks to influence decisions um, and disrupt Um, decision-making processes, whether it be in elections, um, whether it be in a country's ability to uh, respond in a crisis, to undermining the very trust and fabric of a democratic society.
1: And when it comes to job training, are there any examples you like to share about how Splunk is helping Uh, maybe create the future of job training?
0: We're particularly proud of an uh, initiative we have now where we are partnering with an organization called Year Up, which identifies uh, high potential uh, individuals in underserved communities, equips them with uh, basic technology skills, including skills in use of Splunk solutions. We then place those individuals in six-month internships with our customers such that at the end of the six-month internship, the intern has the opportunity either to be hired uh, by the the customer uh, into a much higher paying job than they were able to access before their uh, year-up internship, or if they are not hired, um, they are in a much better position to achieve a different life path for themselves because they now have a basic skill set as well as that all important first job experience where they've been able to apply those skills. And this initiative, which we are now expanding within the Washington DC area, we hope to take it nationally within the next six months.
1: So let's talk about how businesses can use data to create a more equal playing field for everyone. That's, we were kind of touching on it with that question, but uh, how can businesses start to think about creating an equal and level playing field for all of their stakeholders? Data uh, is a
0: great equalizer by uh, so, mu- so many power relationships in our society. So many um, relationships of economic power and competition um, have at their base historically been built on what are called information asymmetries, where one party has access, differential access to critical decision-making information. The emergence of new data technologies uh, and the easier availability to data helps level the playing field between different actors within the business world and within the world of healthcare, society, and other areas. Um, At the same time, it raises a new generation of challenges that we all need to face to maintain that balance of access to information going forward so that the information that we need for uh, both a healthy and robust economy uh, and a um, healthy and robust populace Um, is available to those who can best deliver that value to society.
1: So are there any industry examples that you're excited about outside of the ones we've already covered where you feel like Splunk has a particularly large opportunity? Any specific verticals we haven't covered
0: yet? Well, I'm particularly excited about Splunk's potential to transform the patient's journey through the healthcare system. Splunk has had the the wonderful opportunity to work with custom customers throughout the the healthcare value chain, from everything from uh, drug discovery companies to companies that conduct clinical trials, uh, to healthcare providers, to third party payors and insurers, um, even to the companies that operate the infrastructure behind all of that. And by providers, it's not just the doctors, it's the hospitals, it's the equipment manufacturers, it's the companies that make the electronic health records. Through those experiences, we can step back and see the tremendous value to be derived uh, from that data, both in making the healthcare system far more efficient and cost-effective to tracking actions and relating them to outcomes. Um, so it's, it can be a, a matter of improving customer experience. It can be a matter of adding efficiency and it can be a matter of gaining insights around disease that can lead to cures. And that's all taking the same type of data And just looking at that same data through different lenses. And that is something that Splunk uniquely enables.
1: Very exciting. So if we were to talk about Splunk and data for first responders, how can having better data or information shape the experience of first responders everywhere. We can kind of imagine it in our heads, but you know, what's the future look like where first responders are armed with all of the intel they need prior to getting to the situation?
0: So in the early stages of a crisis or a disaster, situational awareness is critical. And the information most important to each person who plays a role within that crisis whether it be the person on the ground that's rushing into the burning building or into the forest or the person that is managing the logistics of putting the appropriate planes and fire trucks uh, and other assets uh, in motion and getting them to the right place at the right time, or it's the person managing an evacuation uh, of People in the the path of a fire or a flood or a tornado and having that visibility not only of who's at risk, but what their escape routes are and having real-time visibility, Uh, for example, road conditions. If everybody tries to exit the building onto the same one-way road, it's not likely that many will escape. So it's data helps the opportunity for um, situational awareness uh, of each of the roles within within the context of a disaster, giving them the data they need to know in a format that they can consume it at the right time, in the right place, with the right ability to take action on that data.
1: So when we think about wildfires or anything that is impacted or caused by climate change, what's the role for data there? Is there a place where we can use that to fight those huge challenges?
0: Well, we're very excited about the opportunities for data to totally reimagine how we detect, manage, and recover from wildfires. Some specific examples. We're presently working with the moraga Arinda Fire District, Uh, A number of startups, some social media companies, um, and uh, data feeds of information from federal agencies such as NOAA and NASA and the U.S. Forest Service uh, to better understand um, how to reduce the harm to individuals, the destruction of property, and the Damage to valuable natural resources. And let me give you some examples. So right now we are in the process uh, of bringing in data from what will be a 400-acre, what's called a prescribed burn uh, of uh, land in San Francisco's East Bay area. That land has been instrumented with over 200 sensors that will enable us as the, they conduct this control burn to better understand um, how we can dedu- detect the start of a fire, the spread of a fire, and um, how best to allocate resources to fight uh, a fire. And we're going to combine that with things like looking at aerial photography that could pick up a smoke plume, at the earliest stages of a fire and apply machine learning to identify smoke uh, plumes that are characteristic of a fire in its earliest stages. Um, We're going to be bringing in data from social media to understand how that information can be leveraged to detect and to verify the existence of a fire and where it is Located, and also to uh, better understand where individuals with special needs, such as the elderly, those with mobility limitations or disabilities, might be located, so that we can uh, put in place steps to ma- assure that they uh, are able to escape the fire safe and secure. You know, uh, as the news reported last year in California's campfire. Of the 85 fatalities, more than two thirds of the fatalities in that fire were with individuals with mobility, disabilities, or challenges. So that's a really important uh, issue. So, data can help the responders on the ground uh, understand where the fire is, where it's moving, and how to deploy the assets. It can help those responsible for evacuating people in the path of the fire what they need in order to evacuate safely and where they need to go. And as in many things, um, it takes a village. And how can we take advantage of crowdsourcing, of building local communities and leveraging technology so that everyone has the knowledge they need um, to be safe, to reduce the, the damage to their homes Uh, and to keep the valuable natural resources we need in order to assure that our children do have a future.
1: This is exciting stuff. uh, And it's exciting too, to involve the community and be discussing these things publicly and openly. I think that's really important. So Lenny, thanks so much for joining us. This has been a blast. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Mission Daily and all of our podcasts are created with love by our team at mission.org. Each morning, you'll get a newsletter that will help you start your morning and your day off right.